0: Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. So you're intrigued by hollow and rounds and want to get going with some mouldings? Or you are wondering whether you need to mortgage the house and buy a full set of hollow and rounds? Perhaps you're wondering whether buying a dedicated overload plane is a good idea. Well today's book is the book I'd consider to be the go-to guide to using moulding planes. It's from Matt Bickford, it's published by Lost Art Press and it's called Mouldings in Practice. I'm also going to try a new format here for a while. If you like it, please drop me a note. If you hate it, please drop me a note. toolbookreview at gmail.com and let me know how you feel about it. Firstly, a shout out to Giuseppe. You picked up that there'd been an incorrect upload in the Anarchist Workbench and I really appreciate that you pointed this out. I've replaced the appendix with the correct file, and if any of you listeners are having a problem where you get a copy of Chapter 8 rather than the appendix you were expecting, please delete it and re-download it, and you'll get the correct version. Narrating the Anarchist Workbench was a lot of fun. I hope to do this kind of thing again in the future. For now, I'm working on an abridged version of John Ruskin's Unto This Last. It's an important work, and I think that its influence is keenly felt from people like William Morris and the Arts and Crafts movement, all the way through to political activists, like Mahatma Gandhi. Look for something on that early next year. I'd also like to thank everyone who continues to support me on Patreon, and in particular to thank Taryn Rawlings, Nathan Welsh, and Steve Kang for signing up. Every contribution makes a difference, and I know that this is not an easy year for supporting arts or the content creation, so my sincere thanks on that. Speaking of Patreons, Max Dionbox sent me a request to review Craft by Alexander Langlands. Max, I tried really hard to get this book reviewed by this show. I wanted to have it up and ready as the first book review post the anarchist workbench. But I had to stop myself because I was rushing through the book. I'm enjoying the book and I think there's a lot to contemplate in it. It feels to me like it's the kind of book that rewards reading a chapter, then taking some time to reconsider it, and then reading another chapter. I'll have this finished and reviewed by the end of the month, hopefully in time to give you an option before Black Friday sales start kicking in. I've received positive feedback from many listeners about the interviews. It definitely seems like this is of interest and I'll continue to do reviews where I speak to the author and some others where I speak to woodworkers I admire about books. However, what I tended to do historically was break an interview up into approximately half an hour chunks and include my book review at the end of the interview. I realise that for some people this is disruptive, and that you might just be getting into an interview when it pauses in the middle. Frankly, the main reason I did this was because the editing takes quite a while, so getting out a one hour interview and a review in a week just wasn't practical. However, what I've decided to do in future is to release the full interview and book together. In most cases this will mean that you'll receive what I would have previously released over two or three weeks, so I might have to skip a week before or after the episode as a result. Basically, you'll get a couple of weeks in a chunk together as soon as it's ready. When this happens, you can then listen to it on your own schedule, and I hope this will prove to be more conducive to your listening enjoyment. But again, let me know if you prefer the previous format where you get an episode every week, or whether you'd prefer getting them together like this. Based on feedback, I'll revisit on how I'm working on and how I'm going to release those episodes. So the remainder of this podcast is going to be my review of Mouldings in Practice. At the same time, I'm releasing the full interview I did with Matt Beckford, so if you want to, you can pause this podcast, listen to that, and then come back here, but I'd probably suggest listening to this as an overview about the book, and then listening to what he has to say as a more in-depth examination of some of the topics, and some background about him. It was a great interview. Mouldings in Practice starts with a chapter called No Compromises. It might surprise you to learn that Matt is no hand tool purist. He actively uses power tools in his shop. The compromises, the title of this chapter referred to, are the compromises caused by using fixed profile router bits. Matt tells of how he found limitations in his approach because the mouldings wouldn't make the exact furniture that he wanted to make. Basically, reproductions were not always possible because of a lack of access to the requisite profile on a router bit not to mention the cost of keeping all those individual bits in the workshop. As early as page 5, Matt has the following to say. When I considered building a project, I always looked first at its moulding profiles. I knew that I could execute the joinery for a chair with splayed legs or a horseshoe seat, even if I'd never done those joints before. Angle tenons on curved, angle styles were a trophy. Solving problems and puzzles like these was what originally attracted me to the craft. I knew that I would probably never make a large secretary or tall case clock however, because there was just too much new tooling that would be required. On the one hand, I was satisfied with small, difficult projects, and on the other, I was overwhelmed by the prospect of spending so much money on router bits to be used just once. I chose projects based on my tooling, and I regretted the compromises I made in the mouldings before I even made them. As I now walk through a museum, flip through a magazine, or plan a project, the last thing I consider is the molded edges. I now know that I can reproduce almost anything. The moldings have gone from an obstacle that must be avoided to a low to mid-level hurdle. The molding stage has gone from a noisy string of compromises or expensive bits to another source of pride, another area of my craft to which I have put my hand. In the following chapter, Matt expounds on his choice of using hollow and rounds. Molding planes are an inclusive list of planes that include a large number of planes manufactured to make a dedicated profile. He uses the example of a harpsichord bridge to illustrate this principle, its limitations and its benefits. I think we'll all agree that a tool that does the work of several others because it includes the detail and the profile is better in the sense that it does many jobs in one go and also, I think you'll concede that it's limited, because unless you're doing production runs, you are limited with this plane to making replicas of only one profile. I think the author does a good job of breaking down a profile and showing how a complex curve profile is best considered not as one profile to be made with one tool, but rather as a few simple curves that happen to meet each other on the corners. The basis of this approach explains why, that if you have a rabbiting block plane to set up the shapes and a pair of matched, concave and convex planes or a limited number of pairs of matched, concave and convex planes you are able to replicate any of the more complex shapes. Admittedly, you accomplish this in a few steps but I would argue that this is irrelevant to the home woodworker when compared against the cost of dedicated balding planes. There are other planes to consider that fall into this infinity category snipe bills and side rounds and we'll get to those later, but by the end of this chapter you will have worked through a number of examples, demystifying the naming conventions on the planes and understanding the specific uses of a simple moulding plane. You'll also have covered how to set the plane and how to use it. Matt teaches a method in the book that I believe will simplify the complexity of recreating shapes. In addition, I believe that his specific way of presenting the blade to the wood gives you a methodology that's repeatable. You'll need to invest more effort in following a process and less effort in developing a feel for the planes in use. I think that this is an advantage that his method has over the more traditional presentation method. So let's go buy some planes now. Seriously, if you're in the market for a half set, please read chapter 3 first. Really, trust me on this. If you'd rather buy the tools you really need, chapter 3 is the moulding plane equivalent of listening to someone explain why you don't need every Stanley from 1 to 8. I've had a tendency to pick up moulding planes in antique shops whenever I've seen one, and I always feel when I see one in good condition that I should buy it now, in case I don't have the opportunity later. My suggestion? Buy the book. Read it and make a list of what you really need. Stick to that list, and leave the complex moulding planes for people who really want them, or for people who don't know better. The chapter takes you through what profiles you can make and as the author acknowledges on paper, these profiles might look only slightly different, but in actual use they can make a significant change to the feel of a piece. The case is made for two pairs versus a single pair and then we're onto some hands-on stuff. At a casual first glance, some of the pictures look a bit complicated because of the different colors, but the brilliance of these diagrams is you quickly pick up the color progression green to brown to blue etc. Very soon I was reading a picture with a few cutouts on it as okay that's first, that's second, that's third. At first you're stepping slowly through this because it's a bit magical the way a shape deconstructs into a set of rabbits that set up a set of reference points for shaping the hollows and rounds. Personally I'm still a bit shaky on setting up something complex but the book teaches you how to do it and the profiles are deconstructed in so many places that I'd suggest that even if you don't want to learn how to do it from first principles, you can easily find the template you want in the book. For simpler profiles this becomes intuitive very quickly. Add to that the fact that Matt's method of cutting is significantly safer and less skill dependent and I wouldn't be surprised if before the end of this chapter you've gone out and tried to put together your first molding picture frame. It's really that simple and that well explained. Perhaps at this point I should just make a note on the book. In terms of theory and history, there's a lot of text, but the bulk of the book is illustrated with very clear diagrams, so you progress quickly through the 254 pages, it's certainly not a tedious or difficult read. There's a chapter dedicated to rabbit planes, and this encompasses moving philisters and fence planes, and contrasts them back against the simple rabbit planes. Again, a chapter worth reading before you go shopping. I guess in a way in my head, growing up in a consumer gadget culture, more functionality always feels better. More complicated looks more expensive. And yet once you understand how these are used, you'll be ready to ditch the fences and depth stops for good. In conjunction with the following two chapters called Using Rabbits as Shoots and Using Rabbits and Chamfers as Depth Gauges for hollows and rounds, you'll be walked through step by step until you have a comprehensive understanding of the Bigfoot method, which I suggest will give you the best chances of consistently and painlessly creating the profiles you want. I know I'm stressing this, but whether you want a single piece or a number of pieces that need to match like those for the, well, like those for the skirting boards that my wife has kept on asking for. Then we have chapters on snipe builds and side rounds. I'll admit these types of planes were a bit of a mystery to me, And what's nice here is that there's a clear description of what the planes are designed to achieve and when they should be used. There's also the obligatory information on how to set them up and use them and as always it's supported by well-documented examples that will allow you to put the theory into practice. In a way at this point of the book, about 100 pages in, you've covered Moulding Planes 101. The book then dives a little deeper and we get into some more complicated territory starting with how to work backwards from a design to a series of steps that you can cut yourself. Essentially, Matt is setting you up to be able to copy an existing profile and recreate it without any help. If you've come to Hollow and Rounds as a result of wanting to do period reproductions, this chapter gets into the guts of how you do just that. I'll be honest, the attraction for me lay in getting to grips with molding plans to add to my set of skills that I can apply to a project. And if like me, you're happy to choose from a selection of well-documented example profiles, this chapter might be a dive too deep. There's certainly enough in the book that you can just, I guess, copy and paste. It's reassuring to know it's there and it's well explained. But it might be a part of the book that you give light reading to now just to understand the concepts and then come back to in a year or two's time. Overload profiles are discussed and we're then on to a discussion of plough planes, where they needed, and how they can support the creation of some of the more complicated profiles. There's also a section on keeping your blades sharp and tuned. I'm glad it's included because there's nothing as frustrating as trying to work out how to sharpen something properly. But it goes further. Because by their very nature wooden planes are made of an impermanent substance, it's great that there's a section on plane maintenance. This is particularly useful if you have an antique plane. And I'll point out that there's also an appendix included specifically on antique planes. There's also another appendix on the sticking board, but the fourth appendix is the real gem. It's 80 pages long and it covers 8 furniture pieces, where Matt goes through creating the mouldings on the pieces. It's inspirational and aspirational, and you'll find everything from the crown moulding on a high chest to the waist moulding on a federal tall clock. There's Chippendale and Rhode Island and Queen Anne. I'd suggest everyone will find something they are keen to emulate, in their own work. This section's a real gem, and in conjunction with the rest of the book, you have literally everything you need in diagrams and steps to create the mouldings for the projects and questions. Then there's a few frequently asked questions and a good index, and the book is done. I love this book. It may surprise you to learn that while I'm comfortable with dovetails and mortise and tenon joints, I really feel like I need to dedicate some time to getting my miters to really shine. By the time I finished the book I knew that Christmas 2020 was going to be the time where I focused on making some really awesome picture frames as gifts for family. It's that kind of book, one that I'm sure will inspire you to attempt something that you might have found quite intimidating and frankly I think that's the best kind of technique book there is. So in conclusion Mouldings in Practice is 254 pages long and is written by Matthew Bickford. You can find the book at lostartpress.com, and as at November 2020, it costs $23 for the electronic version and $46 for the hardcover. I'll end by saying that moulding planes are expensive. If you're considering buying a half set through a reputable second-hand dealer, or ordering from any one of the makers that are making new planes on the market, they cost a lot of money. A new set of two planes can easily cost $300 or $400, and a vintage set can easily top $100 a piece if they're in good condition. Add to this the confusion of what you really need among the huge variety of options and what to look for when buying and you can understand why this book is an investment It will save you frustration and money. I have quite a few planes on my shelf that felt like a bargain but have become paperweights as I've learned more about making moldings. A cheap plane is seldom a bargain if it's not what you want. Likewise An expensive plane might be good value if you really need it. You can create 41 profiles with a single set of hollow and rounds. Reading this book is very likely to change the way you go about acquiring moulding planes. Secondly, moulding planes seem like they're very tricky to use. There's no dark magic here. Fortunately, the large number of illustrations from Matt that are colour coded let you know exactly what order to perform operations in. It's like paint by numbers for mouldings. From beginning steps and picture frames, through to duplicating parts on complicated furniture pieces, I believe that Matt's book is the next best thing to a course with an expert. And in some ways it might be better, because while the book might lack the personal instruction, a lot of making mouldings is about the process, and this book will serve as an excellent reference that you can go back to for years to come. In fact, it's the kind of book that every woodworking club really should have a copy of in their library. If, like me, you're starting on a journey with these planes, I can heartily recommend that you get a copy of the book. And to quote the author, open the doors to infinity. I'm giving the book an 8 out of 10 in the category techniques. So that's it for now woodworms, and remember, go make some picture frames and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, Perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like to be featured on a future episode drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com If you'd like to support the show you can find me on Patreon any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.